Welcome to The Daily Doctor's Kitchen with me, your host, Dr. Rupi. I'm a medical doctor, cookbook author, and supporter for nutritional medicine. The Daily Doctor's Kitchen is a series of bite-sized nuggets of information all to do with food, nutrition, and healthy living taken from my main podcast called The Doctor's Kitchen Podcast. And if you want to learn how to eat well every day, check out my recipes, books, and free newsletter at thedoctorskitchen.com. What I find quite interesting is that even today in conventional cardiology, for want of a better term, I can't really think of something to separate what we mean by lifestyle and um, how we treat people with just drugs, uh, mm. essentially. Um, but there are more and more investigations and more and more research uh, trials geared towards um, pharmaceutical options as a, as an uh, as a preventative cardiology in itself. Mm. So, you know, PCSK9 inhibitors, mm. better and better stru- uh, statin medications, drugs. Um, we really need to reframe what we mean by preventative cardiology, I think, in this in this country and beyond. Because as you said, a typical patient journey is just that. You see a cardiologist or a GP, you put in some drugs, you, you let them go on their merry way for a few months, and then you come back, you realize that they're at the next step of the treatment algorithm, and we don't even get a chance to talk about that diet and lifestyle stuff because we haven't really had that in our mind. Mm. So that's something I think we need to probably reframe our, our, our vernacular around quite early. So when you think about ca- uh, preventative medica- um, cardiology, um, and we'll talk about the Fresh Heart Project mm. in a second, what does that what do you think of from a pharmaceutical point of view, from an interventional point of view, and from a lifestyle point of view? Yeah, so I think that we have to take a, an approach which uses all of those because we've made so much progress with pharmaceuticals, actually. So I'm definitely not against pharmaceuticals in primary prevention. And I think that's a really good mm. point because a lot of people think of um, statins in particular mm. as the devil or, mm. you know, no one should be on a statin, which I think mm. is very... Um, it's quite a dangerous play to make because I'm not just talking about the people with familial hypercholesterolemia who have a genetic condition that renders them more likely to have high levels of these lipoproteins in their blood. Mm. Um, it, it's They genuinely are fantastic clinical tools to use alongside all the other tools Absolutely. we have in our toolbox. And that is exactly it. It's like having a toolbox it, mm. and part of your toolkit is medication. Mm. Part of your toolkit is you know, intervention if necessary in certain cases. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But not always. Yeah, we could talk about the courage trial. We could, we could talk about the courage trial. And then part of it is lifestyle. Um, And should we talk about the courage trial Yeah, why don't we talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the courage trial was very interesting actually. So I think, was it 2007? 2007, it was quite a long time ago. And they looked at lots of patients. So about 2,300 patients. And they randomised them, so either two, and they, these were patients with documented coronary artery disease, and they had to have ischemic symptoms. So what we mean by that is that they, there are three main blood vessels that supply the muscle of the heart, and in those blood vessels, there are significant narrowing, which when tested are significant, okay? so. 
These are patients with coronary artery disease. That is significant. There are a couple of exceptions. So one is if they'd had, I think, bypass grafts, and one is if they had very, very severe, very proximal, very high up disease in the left main, which, which is excluded. Mm -hmm. And that is something that supplies a massive territory and should be treated interventionally. Very uncommon. Mm -hmm. So the majority of patients with stable angina um, and coronary artery disease, they randomise them either to interventions. So if you, and, and you know, it makes sense. If you've got a blockage in the artery of your heart, opening up that blockage just from a, you know, from a, an academic perspective makes sense. If you open up that blockage, you're supplying more blood to that bit of the muscle and you think, you know, that's going to be beneficial. So in half of the patients, they underwent intervention to open up the blockages. In the other half, they just gave them tablets. So they just gave them medications and said, right, we're going to test this. And they followed them up. And what they found was that actually the end point of major you know, cardiovascular events and mortality was the same. So the outcomes were the same in both arms. So it didn't matter if you, if the blood vessel was opened up, which really you'd think would help you'd mortality, that, yeah. but it didn't. Mm -hmm. Tablets work just as well. Mm -hmm. um, what it might have done was help with anginal symptoms a little bit, mm -hmm. but actually when um, you look at the, t the, the tablet group, anginal symptoms were helped as well. Yeah. So really, intervention and stents in the majority of people with stable angina, and this is not a heart attack, mm -hmm. not, a, not something where you'd go into you know, hospital acutely with, um, works just, you know, tablets work just as well, mm -hmm. okay? It does not save lives, it may help symptoms. And that, the, we, there was an orbiter trial as well very recently uh, I haven't come I don't across know if you've come across that. So no. this was a group in London, Daryl Francis did. Uh -huh. And he said, well, that's all very well. Courage is very well. But people who are undergoing intervention, uh -huh. um, they have had a procedure. So is there a placebo effect gotcha. with that? We haven't really tested. So, so they did, they took a smaller group, but about just over 230 patients, and uh -huh. they randomized them to medication, optimal uh -huh. medical therapy, or stents uh -huh. in people who had a blockage in one of their blood vessels. Uh -huh. And this was very interesting. Um, they, they, they actually found, again, so the group that had just medication actually underwent a procedure. Mm -hmm. So they genuinely did not know if they had a stent or not because they had a procedure. They had an angiogram where we look at the arteries of the heart, mm -hmm. and they had a little, um, pressure wire mm -hmm. or a little wire put down that artery with the blockage. So they had had, but they didn't have the stent. So they just had a sham procedure. Right, okay. And then the other group did have the stent. Have the okay, Again, yeah. their exercise time was identical. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And I people mean, all, genuinely I'm, did not know which I'm, group they were in. Yeah, I mean, the first yeah. the first visual reaction is like, how am I sticking that through ethics? First of all, like the sham procedure versus it's, the... Yeah. It's a good point, And that was really raised at a lot of <laughs> meetings, but it's a question. It's a genuine clinical question yeah. that we have. Yeah, yeah. And I can understand because if you can demonstrate in the Courage, in the courage mm. trial that medication versus uh, intervention mm. in stable uh, patients, so not acute patients, stable mm. patients, uh, have similar outcomes, mm. then it stands to reason you could potentially argue, well, if we try sham versus the intervention, then maybe we're not putting them at greater harm as mm. long as they're on medications as well, I'm assuming. The, what, what the, the question from the COURAGE trial was that, you know, it helps with anginal symptoms. Uh -huh. 
and the only way in which you can test that it helps with anginal symptoms is to do a randomized control trial where they genuinely don't know if they've had a stent or mm -hmm. if they haven't had a stent mm -hmm. and you know it was there were lots of criticisms there weren't very many patients it wasn't followed up for a very long time but it's very interesting finding so watch this space yeah. but intervention in people who are stable generally works just as well as tablets yeah. and it does not reduce death it yeah. does not reduce events and that is the message I hope you enjoyed today's Daily Doctor's Kitchen. The Doctor's Kitchen podcast is where I discuss multiple topics around nutrition, medicine, and well-being with experts and researchers from around the globe. So do go check it out. And my latest cookbook is 321. Three portions of fruit and veg per person, two servings per recipe, and all using one pan. Find me on social media at doctors underscore kitchen and sign up for recipes every week at thedoctorskitchen.com. I'm Dr. Rupi. Have a beautiful day. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.